Go ahead and give me that sanity check. <laughs> what? Ooh, too bad, so sad. Looks like you just picked up a derangement, friend. Happy Harvey here, and you'd be insane not to check out Chaotic Click Clacks. That's right, friends. Head on over to Facebook, Instagram, or Etsy and search up Chaotic Click Clacks. Peruse their exotic array of handmade gaming dice. So the next time you're staring into the gaping mall of insanity, you can do so with confidence and style. Remember, Chaotic Click Clacks, where we want to be your clack dealer. Welcome to Maximum Role Entertainment Podcast, where we take the time to interview folks within the gaming industry. Today, my co-host is Jason Cassidy, the owner and operator of Dungeoneering with Jason. Jason's also a member of the Crumpets and Kerosene Podcast, and he also is a professional DM, and he's here to help out anywhere and anytime he can. So welcome, man. How's it going? It's going good, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I always yeah. like being, uh, being your co-host. Right, right on. I know it's sometimes it's scary and sometimes it works out. And then you turn around, and you're a player, and you're like, "That dick." <laughs> and so, uh, but you know, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce our guest today? Who who do we have? Sure, I am thrilled to inter- uh, to introduce today's guests. Uh, we've got uh, the proprietors and founders and creators of the Lazy Poet Board Game Company, uh, Peter Kissick and John Power. Uh, Hello. John and I have actually Hello. known each other. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good afternoon. Doing terrific. Yeah, good, really excited to be here. Right great. It's great to have you. John and I have actually known each other for about what, 10 years now, give or take. That's right. Um, so it's, it's, it's been great to see where your company has gone in the, in the, uh, in the past few years. But um, yeah, um, Lazy Poets, uh, they make board games, which is a little outside of our usual purview. But uh, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to kind of talk to some creatives um so I'll, I'll hand it back over to kelly but i'm gonna pop in every now and then when i have a a question right. here or there cool thanks man uh board you know board games is one of those things that me and my wife uh she doesn't play D D. she doesn't play any of the fantasy stuff she has to roll dice she's out other than the, the dice for a board game so i was like a board game company hell yeah maybe i can start ordering some board games for the house we we do a lot of you know date nights where we just watch a show and and you know board game where we're old folks so we get our friends together and we play dominoes or something you know that style but uh yeah you know what how many board games have you guys developed or what what are you working on right now so um i'll maybe go first on that one so i've developed a game called crystal hall with some friends initially that was my first project and jason actually on the podcast day was the very very first person to kickstart that on Kickstarter. You got oh. position number one. So mad respect yep. for Jason. Um, <laughs> and, and that's uh, done, done pretty well. Um, it, it got published by Gibsons in the UK, which is one of the oldest publishers. They're over 100 years old. Oh, um, nice. So they, they know their stuff. Um, and they got it out there into some of the, the big retailers in the UK. And uh, we're now working together, myself and Peter, on a game called Earthen War, which is a two-player strategy game which uses dice. So maybe your, your wife might like it. Uses dice in a new way. So um, you know, who knows? Too, too late. You said strategy, and I'm sure it's a, a you know our kind of world, and not the usual. Like she's an educator, a teacher for the last 22 years. So I think 
uh, growing up, her favorite video games was uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. So, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it could work. We'll see what happens. Well, there might be a slight educational angle. I'm not sure. It's actually set in <laughs> World War One, So we decided to do a fantasy game that was a little bit different to um, uh, other fantasy worlds, not kind of the medieval trope, but we want to go for something a little bit edgier. So, um, yeah, a little so, bit of World War One and history in, in some of the, the themes. Oh, I, I'm all about history. I was in the military for you know, 10 years and, and uh, World War Two and one are my favorites. So uh, do you want do you want U.S.? pounds or euro <laughs> i think pounds for us yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> or canadian i have a lot of i interview a lot of people from all over so i'm like trying to check out the currencies for everybody so <laughs> being in europe you never know what like you walk into a place and they're like oh we only take this and you're like huh okay right. it's so true and i know many kickstarter folks these days like uh, raising dollars because they're paying out in dollars to Chinese manufacturers so they can kind of build in a, a hedge of their currency if they raise it in the dollars in the first place but I imagine we'll probably go with pounds just because the maths will be easier <laughs> Yeah, it, you know that's the funny thing like uh, being in Europe and I get paid in US so I'm already losing money right there anytime I go outside of the military base or the my little online community thing but it, it's it's interesting that every time I try to order something, they automatically want to do it in Euro. And I'm like, is there an exchange? I'm just losing more money on it. And so going to the UK, I love going to UK. We go all the time. We're going to bring our daughter this year. Uh, she just turned one. That was going to be our first trip. We love London. And uh, obviously that's not happening. And uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, the pound, whatever. I, I still treat it like I'm spending US. I just don't think about the currency exchange well they're getting yeah. closer together now yeah, yeah i get yeah, paid yeah. in dollars and i got a big pay bump after brexit when the pound dropped so that was yep. good for me yep 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 all right on so did you come over kelly we'll have to have a game of earth and war if, if you do come to the uk it'd be fantastic to play with you face oh, to face hell yeah i'll well, send my wife to a coffee shop or something i'll be back you know <laughs> four or five hours later you know i get my fix uh but that's cool so I know I've been to a, a few gaming shops in, in the UK and uh, it's so much Warhammer oriented, or maybe I'm just walking into the wrong shops because I type in gaming store because I'm trying to find like dice because I want to say, hey, this set of dice is from, you know, London because I collect dice. I have hundreds of dice. I started a collection of metal dice and I have like 15 that I've got since Christmas. And uh, my wife's like, that's a fairly expensive uh, dice habit you have there sir and that's awesome <laughs> i was like well there's gemstone that's going to be next and that that's like a hundred dollars a set so what what is it uh uh for your your like to get your game in those stores do you just do uh only board game shops or do you have it in regular uh retail stores as well so the, the, the one game we've got out, Crystal Hall, is in regular retailers and board game shops. We're quite lucky that because we've got like a pretty heavyweight publisher, they've been able to get the kind of the reach out there. Um, but I think Peter and I are definitely planning to to start with a kind of grassroots um, kind of approach for the uh, the Earthen War release and, and go to board game cafes when they start to open back up and, and have some game nights where we kind of uh, go in with like 10 copies and invite some folks over and kind of we can be there to explain the game and uh, 
share with people why we like it. Um, and then hopefully we'll build a bit of a crowd for what we're hoping to do as a Kickstarter campaign. So um, definitely that kind of community uh, level is the way we'd really like to go because that's, that's something I've had a lot of fun doing. Um, yeah, there myself. has been a bit of a pivot in board game shops because they make quite a lot of profit off their Warhammer stuff and their Magic the Gathering stuff. Yeah. And recently their Funko Pop stuff. So there has been a pivot away slightly from board games into merchandise and Magic the Gathering and uh, Warhammer. So when but there's still quite good uh, board game shops out there. When, when you say uh, board game cafe, is that different than a board game shop? Uh, you guys actually have cafes where you just play board games? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So they, they actually tend to be closer to pubs in my experience. Um, there was one called Drafts, which got an enormous following. I think it was one of the first board game cafes to get launched by a Kickstarter. And they set up an operation in North London. Then they got another one in central London. And then there was a place called Thirsty Meeples that opened up in Oxford. Um, and they're kind of cafe slash pubs. You can get like kind of cafe style food slash pub food you get alcoholic drinks or kind of cocktails normally pay a table charge of a fiver you're there for three hours um and they've got a fantastic library that you can browse and it's just an awesome way to socialize and have like really meaningful social interaction with friends after work or kind of at a weekend um you often are fighting for kind of elbow space in these places they're they're rammed <laughs> with kind of game fans so a really great way to if, you, if you're down in london kelly we'll have to go check out one of those I, obviously I'm, I'm a foodie i was uh, in the culinary industry before the military and i was a professional uh, cook i went to culinary school and all that or professional chef i made my way up the ranks and so every time i go to london i'm like oh my god so many good foods and uh when you put both of those together you might not get me out of that uh that area. Just, <laughs> again i'll just put my wallet on the table and be like here you go so i'll be over here and <laughs> just keep them coming you know <laughs> they are really good there's one in uh near me that allows dogs for one which is a big oh, plus that's cool and they uh they post pictures of their food they have their own chef uh and they post pictures of the food on their facebook and it looks fantastic um and they're really good to go and try a board game before you buy it because they usually sell them as well so you can go in try four or five over the course of an afternoon and then make sure you like it and then buy a copy take home oh that's cool i like that you know that's that's like i go to the borough market a lot i love that little um you know, I, I consider it the world's best grilled cheese. And it's like right when you go into the market, they're off to the side. They just, it's like a, they have two panini presses, I think now. Um, yes. And <laughs> I just like, I do that. And then I'll go and shop for like regular foods and stuff. But then if I could throw a board game in there in the table area, uh, I, I feel like I just need to move to the UK or, or <laughs> when I get back to the state, start opening up a, uh, when we can eventually, uh, you know, a game store like that, not game store, but like a pub style and you pay a table charge and then you can play your games and you order your food. And I mean, in the States, it's all about the turnover. Like they want you in and out, but you put five, 10 bucks or, you know, put five bucks on the table plus food. If they stay for three hours, I mean, it's, you know, and plus all the food and drinks they get, I, I could say you could probably make some money off of it. Yeah, once you've invested in all the board games, I guess you're just getting an extra table charge um, as well as the food and drink price. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they should, should be doing quite well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, is, this is just making me miss outside. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. you guys are depressing me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's snowing over here, and I have to drive on on post. And uh, Germany is really good about. Uh, trying to push everybody to stay in their houses and do stuff. So you have to have really good reason or you get pulled over by the bullseye and 
uh, I, you know, I have to, I'm going on the military base. Here's my ID. I'm just getting groceries. And, and they'll follow you until you get to the gate and then get in. And they're like, and then they drive off. I'm like, damn. Uh, they so, should be doing that here, really. But yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there's not much of that going on in, in the U.S. either for some strange reason. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, how do you like the U.S.? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't lived there in six, seven years. Uh, I've been all over the world with, with the military. And once I went overseas to Afghanistan, I think I went straight to Korea after that. And I haven't been back to the States since. So, uh, I'm like, I don't know what's going on in the States. I'll go back occasionally for like a week or two, but I mean, that's it. And you know, uh, you haven't missed much actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm and that much has been going on, has it? It's been, been quite been quiet. pretty quiet over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, st- I stopped watching the news this morning because everything's on apps for us because I don't speak German. My wife doesn't speak German. So it's one of those things where we're like, let's watch the news. And about three and a half minutes into it, I'm ready to throw my coffee against the wall. And then, you know, like, let's put on a movie. This is <laughs> but uh, the UK is amazing. I, I love the UK. I did D&D in the castle there, which is uh, an amazing uh, thing to do. And I, I just love the culture. The, the It's the gastronomy for, you know, the UK is huge. It's the stepping stone for the rest of the world. Um, and that's awesome, especially when you guys are doing, you're mixing in games and, you know, board games and stuff, bringing it back. I feel like board games have kind of slipped to like the older generation because we're used to it where like the new kids are into the the tablets and the apps and all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, it's that's the oldest t- thing you've ever said. <laughs> I don't need. Even- I don't know how to use Snapchat or Twitter. I have those for my company, but I refuse. With your Snapchattings and your Twitters. I called it the wrong name, and my wife was like, don't ever say that again. I'm like, isn't that what it's called? I'm like, I thought that was a bad word. She's like, no, that it's a tweet. A tweet. I'm like, oh, okay. And she, she thought I was joking, but I wasn't. And then she realized I wasn't joking. And she's like, you need to don't download Twitter because... <laughs> like David Cameron once made that same mistake live on the radio and called tweets by the wrong name. Yeah, so you're not yeah. Alone. <laughs> I so I messaged another podcast a couple years ago just to ask them some advice about starting a podcast, and I thought I was messaging the DM uh, through it, a private message, and uh, later on he messaged me back uh, through Facebook, and he's like, "Hey, I don't I don't know if you know, but the." I got your message on Twitter, but so did, you know, 15 other hundred people. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I was just bullshitting with him and, and, and asking him a bunch of questions. He's like, I've never got a question like that. Like, I hit the, the character mark. And I was like, that that was a private? And he's like, no. <laughs> it's like, okay. We have a, a day over here called Ed Balls Day on Twitter because there was a politician called Ed Balls and he mixed up the uh, the search bar on Twitter with the bar where you write your tweets and his first tweet the day he opened it was just his own name as a tweet and now every time every day that year comes around um each year everyone just tweets ed balls uh with no explanation that's the, probably the thing he's most famous for that and being on strictly come dancing oh my gosh jeez. all right let, let's get back to you guys this company uh because i'm very interested in your board games and i, I want to know more about it uh let, let's start with the one that you already have out because uh, I'm curious and I'm going to look it up and so maybe I can get my wife to play it and then we can go into uh, what you're making next and I believe you guys said you have a comic book strip that you're working on and some other stuff as well 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'll happily uh, give you an introduction to Crystal Hall. So this is a fantasy strategy game for two to four players um, where you are trying to acquire some crystals in a magical building. And on your turns, you, you move around your little team of wizards. You have four wizards each and you play spells, you flip over tiles, you find items. And um, I suppose, although we're not kind of huge Dungeons and Dragons players ourselves, it was there was some inspiration from Dungeons and Dragons kind of world. Like, and we trying to create a compact fantasy experience where you get to kind of drink a magic potion and uh, throw some fireballs and get some magic crystals before the other players um, in kind of a, a more kind of um, structured uh, environment and, and, and quite quick to play. You can kind of do it in one sitting. So um, that's kind of the, the basic pitch for Crystal Hall. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so what's, what's the age uh, ranges for it? So typically about 10 plus, but um, having done a few kind of expo shows, like sometimes you have like younger kids coming along, like seven-year-olds who are kind of bright and into games who will definitely engage with it. Um, and it's very colorful as well. So um, yeah, some younger kids do really like it. Right yeah, it's I, it's a beautifully illustrated game. I, you know, we have a copy and, and uh, our kids have played before and they're, they're youngish. They're, they're eight and six right now. Um, I, I, I love uh, Crystal Hall and, and Earthenware kind of, Earthenware kind of has the same thing where it's the, the rule set is simplistic to learn. Like there's not there's not a lot of complication to figure out the system, but there's room for a lot of, of, of strategy and a lot of nuance built within. So the game can be as as simple or as complicated as as the players who are playing uh, kind of make it. Um, and yeah, the 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 art style for uh, for Crystal Keep is just it's just kind of lovely and whimsical and um, or Crystal Hall, I should say. Uh, yeah, and I was I I had never donated to a Kickstarter before, uh, and just just knowing John and, and knowing what kind of guy he is, um, I didn't hesitate to put a couple bucks down, and I I have not been disappointed at all, uh, with with that investment, um, and I've gotten a chance to play Earth and War, uh, since I have I have one of the uh, few existent playtest copies that's been sitting on my my house for a couple of days, um, a couple of weeks I should say. Uh, and it's the same thing. It's 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 simplistic in design, but not in execution. There is a lot of strategy, um, and it's very much both games. And and, and this is something I, I kind of wanted to, to touch on a little bit uh, with you, with you both. Both games are really about controlling a space on a board. It's it's really about uh, it's almost chess like in the sense that it's moving squares. It's controlling a space. Uh, it's it's kind of outthinking your your opponents. So, you know, there's so many there's so many cooperative games out today, collaborative games. What kind of made you you two? What kind of made the Lazy Poets want to go more uh, into that head-on head? You know, uh, you versus the other person um, realm. You know, what 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 made you want to go in that direction? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. I think it was just quite an organic assumption that we didn't kind of um, could put too much thought into. I think um, Peter and I were were sat on the, the carpet in his house one day, kind of like with a few board game ingredients. We had some hexagonal paper with like grids on. We had some some coins. And I think we had like a, uh, a pencil and a pen or something. And we just kind of started game jamming as it were. Like, what if we did this? What if we did that? What if on a turn you do X, Y, Z? 
And that's just kind of where, where we got to. I, doesn't, I don't know if that means that we're just naturally <laughs> confrontational people or something <laughs> rather than doing a co-op game. Um, we're, we're, we're all friend from, friends from school. So maybe it was that kind of like a little bit of rivalry coming into play. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm somebody who um, played a lot of chess growing up, but both Peter and I kind of acknowledged that we, we like chess to a degree, but sometimes it feels like whoever has played chess the most is going to win the chess mm-hmm. game. And we oh, wanted yeah. to have a little bit of randomness. Um, so there's always that chance for the underdog who's like maybe not so experienced. They can get some good roles in um, and have some, some good moves that allows them to come back um, and, and dominate sometimes. So um, yeah, that's a few thoughts on, on the creation. So what about the dice or what kind of dice is you, is it six siders or do you go uh, some crazy dice? So what we have are um, D3s that are six sided. So it goes one, two, three, one, two, three. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so, um, and uh, you basically use these to program what your golem can do. So in the game, you control a golem, a piece made of clay, and we're hoping that the actual final figurines are also ceramic themselves. Um, yeah, they've and, got a nice heft to them now, yeah. Yeah, a really nice uh, weight to them. They yeah. tend to go down well. And what you do with your D3s is that you kind of program and set up what all their moves are gonna be. So you might put a number three in front of your, uh, at the front of your control grid and that means your golem is able to walk forward three squares at a time and you might put a number one at the left hand side of your grid which means it can move left one square at a time if it wants to and you chain these up so you can do a forwards three squares and a left one square type thing and there's a similar thing with attacks so that's the way in which dice are used which is different to something we've not seen that in other games before um and it's, it's using these these d3s because We've tried it with D6s and it just got a little bit too crazy. These golems were charging around and knocking down walls and it was just a bit chaotic. So we just reeled them in slightly. And that's why we went for the one, two, three. Uh, Initially, the, the dice, the numbers all had different abilities. So I think six was heal for a bit. And uh, there was two different types of attack. One was a laser and one was a punch. And it just got a bit sort of, they were simultaneously too powerful and it was too complicated and there's too much going on. So I, I we think, got rid of half the numbers. <laughs> I, I think I think you're on to something there. Uh, I would love to have a bunch of six-sided three, uh, three, you know, for uh, uh, my podcast. And I think a lot of DMs would love to have that like, here because, you know, sometimes there is like half damage and, you know, it's like you, instead of saying half damage, just roll a 1d3 dice, you know. I like it. You might be on to something there. Yeah, for, man. For, we, some, we sometimes do have to play with six-sided dice when we don't have enough three-sided and it is a pain having to do the quick maths of which four five six correlates to one two three again and again and again you need to you need to find a dice maker and, and you know get get your guys's logo or symbol on something or or well i guess you couldn't really do that but get that uh get sets that you can sell on your site of just the three-sided mm. dice i think you'd sell a lot of those with the games because uh uh i would buy a shit ton of them but that's- they're <laughs> remarkably hard to get hold of when i first you know, we first came up with the idea we're like oh yeah we'll just order some and then like they kind of go out of stock or like kind of like um yeah that you have to like scroll down to like the sixth page of google to find like the obscure manufacturer who'll do them for you um so yeah i think that once we've got that that supplier in place like you know, who, who knows maybe we could become like one of the the main suppliers I'm always surprised got... by how expensive dice are. Like, because I just try to get some kind of a bulk bag of dice, thinking, oh, they're just little bits of plastic. They'll be quite cheap. 
and they're sort of surprisingly expensive. Uh, I guess only a few companies must make them. Or... I mean, you, you pay in pounds. So, I mean, I, to me, anything I buy, <laughs> but uh, there's some cheap guys out there, but sometimes you don't. We actually have a, a, one of my new players that I interviewed. Her episode came out today, actually. Uh, and she makes dice. Uh, well, we'll have to look her up. Yeah, she does high-end dice. Yeah, I mean, that's something uh, we can definitely talk to her about. Maybe manufacture six-sided, three-sides for you. And, uh, you know, that could be a route you go. She makes them in her garage. Uh, the way she explains it, it sounds like an episode of Breaking Bad. You know, respirator <laughs> mask and resident I'm like are they toxic she's like no no once it's all done it they're not they're harmless and i'm like okay but uh yeah it, we uh, had a brief kind of 10 minute uh time where we thought we could make our own dice out of wood and we quickly <laughs> decided we could not do that at yeah. any sort of yeah. scale <laughs> oh that'd be awesome wooden dice i would love to get uh i think wormwood uh makes wooden dice a lot of the companies do but they they're expensive because it's not yeah. like it's not like a mold that they dump all the stuff in and make the dice. They have to actually handcraft all of them, or have a wood maker actually do all the dice, and then they have to take the little uh, heat gun or whatever, and and uh, or the wood burner, and actually write the numbers in it and everything. So it does get expensive. Yeah. Uh, there was an afternoon when I was sat on the floor with a felt tip pen and a, a kind of a, a box of wooden cubes and I wouldn't <laughs> want to relive it. <laughs> yeah, it's just so cool. And then someone's, you realize you're missing a number on a whole set and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did I do? That uh, was dice ruined and your house is covered with, you know, toe poppers as I call them because like sometimes I drop dice and four-sided dice are dangerous because if you drop them, it's like stepping on a cow trip and uh, <laughs> or your, your cat eats your d20 and you have to wait you know three three days for it to come back to you just make sure you take note of what number it was when it came out <laughs> it's always a one <laughs> take a picture look at that dirty 20 oh no <laughs> uh, i don't own cats anymore i, I have a dog and he uh uh I don't know if he would grab my dice. He probably would. He's a boxer. Uh, he, he pretty much will, if you throw anything on the ground, he goes for it, except for vegetables. You know, I'll throw it up in the air and he'll catch it. And it, it just so like, drops it. Right what up. got you guys interested in making games in the first place? Um, what got us interested in making games in the first place? Yeah. Uh, I think for, for myself, um, as, a, as a kid, I was indoctrinated indoctrinated quite young with a family who wouldn't just play Monopoly at Christmas, but they play a different version of it, which was called Tripopoly, where you'd have three parallel universes. Um, if you got half of one set on one board, you could uh, play it with the other half of a set on another board. Uh, in the UK, we would call it Mayfair and Park Lane or something like that. So kind of you could divide up the, the property sets. You'd have more money. The, the stations kept going up in value. And most memorably for me as a kid, if you landed on free parking, you got a packet of sweets. So um, oh. I'd play that with kind of a, a, a set of cousins. There'd be 10 of us around a long table playing crazy Monopoly. Um, and 
I was hooked. It was great fun. Like you kind of like I was the youngest of like that group of family and I learned kind of negotiation skills, kind of social skills, kind of like seeing everyone interact, um, a little bit of kind of like business and um, and yeah, it was just incredibly fun. I know a lot of people kind of cite Monopoly as the thing that causes family arguments, but um, for us, we kind of like went the other way and just absolutely loved it and doubled down on having fun with it. Um, and then kind of like uh, uh, when I was a little bit older, me and my brother made a uh, top Trump's cards for all of my toys. Um, I was quite into these things called Mighty Max, which is like yep. um, a kind of a monster that you open up, which has all these little monster toys inside. Mm -hmm. And we would like have stats for each of them, like their attack power, their speed, their, I don't know, their magic potential or something. I can't remember all the stats, but um, I enjoyed that creative process of like drawing them out and coming up with the rules and, and then playing as well. It was just um, a great way to have fun with the art of making. Um, and then, um, I guess a kind of like uh, a few years back, I, I trained as an accountant and wanted to have some kind of creative outlet that was like a kind of mini business of sorts to kind of put into practice like um, a, a way to make profit. And I thought, well, actually making games is something I absolutely love and it's not going to be it's not going to feel like a, a real uh job and in, in some senses like if you do something you love it doesn't it doesn't feel like work so um that's what kind of took me to um be really passionate about games i did the opposite i came from a hatred of monopoly <laughs> I was gonna say, me too. <laughs> that makes more sense yeah i cannot stand it so yeah uh, so i d went off video game for board games for quite a while I, although looking around my room i, I found um, my old sonic the hedgehog board game from when i was little which is a little kind of 3d cardboard game with a hill in the middle huh. you move your pieces around collecting rings and there's a little plastic flipper catapult thing and the, at the end of the game you have to catapult your sonic up to the top of this three-story hill which is very cool um yeah. so that was that's one i did like and then i made the quite cliche jump to board games properly with Settlers of Catan, like everyone else in the world did in 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, but we have this instinct of uh, wanting to do things ourselves when we like things. So when we were into radio and stuff, we got a radio show. And when we were into comics, we decided to publish our own comic. It's kind of like a natural progression of that teenage boy instinct where they all start bands when they're into music. Right, right, <laughs> but right. we just kept it going. So when we did get into board games properly, uh, we thought, why don't we just make our own? I'm sure it can't be that hard, uh, which is not necessarily true. I was just saying, were you right or wrong on that? <laughs> yeah. how, long, how long did it take to develop uh, the first one to developing the second one? So Crystal Hall took um, a remarkably short period of time. Um, it took probably about six months for the development and then six months to kind of launch and get it out there. Whereas Earthen War has been uh, kind of a, a slower back burner project. Um, but actually I think it's, it's all the better for it. It's been like, um, like more, more refined, kind of like fewer edge cases. Um, and yeah, it's, it's got a lot more polished. And I, I think, uh, we've kind of enjoyed having a, a theme that kind of matches the mechanics as well. So the, the legend of golems is that they're controlled by symbols in their head on little scrolls. And um, the kind of the idea of the, the golems in earthen wars that they're controlled by little dice on this uh, occult grid. And we, we kind of, we like that, that theme. And I don't think we would have arrived at that theme if we'd kind of just kind of done it in another six months or, or something like that. So the, the, that longer brew time is definitely, I feel paying off. Yeah, the development for Earthmore fits the World War One theme quite well. Cause I think there have been three Christmases now where we've been saying, oh, it'll be done by Christmas. It'll be over by Christmas. And it has not, we're still waiting for 
1918. Okay, cool. I, that's, I thought board games took a lot longer and, and you know, it's just, that's pretty good. I mean, like a year turnaround for the very first one, I would, I thought it would have been the other way around where you spent, you know, two, three years working on the first one. And then, but with COVID, I'm sure, you know, it's a lot harder to get things put out. And then you definitely want to make your second one even like better than the first one. So you continuously, you know, put out, uh, you know, quality work. But you guys said you do a radio uh, station. What What's that about? It was for three or four years at university. We had, we, we had a bit of a, odd uh career development there we started off in kind of prime time saturday slot and then went to drive time and then slowly got more and more obscure slots because we wanted to do weirder and weirder stuff <laughs> so we ended up i think pre-recording it at midnight and then it went out at sort of 3 a.m and it was all kind of remixed pre-recorded stuff because okay. uh, we got bored with the mainstream media stuff but okay that was a good experience sounds like it and then the, the oh, go ahead Oh, I was just say what uh, what what's uh, what's going on with the Twitch stream? What's what's that? Oh, we uh, started that at the beginning of yep. lockdown, uh, which was in March. Um, we just started off doing a countdown of our top 100 video games. So we all put together a list of our top ever video games, uh, collated clips and stuff, and then counted down from uh, 100 down to number one. That went on a lot longer than we thought it would, and then we sort of branched out into just doing more regular Twitch stuff. Uh, we started a Smash tournament. And we've just started a new um, format, which is the A to Z of everything, where it's really hard to describe, but it's we have letters A to Z and 26 categories, and we pick our favorite thing from each category and match it to a letter. Huh. So it's basically just going through a lot of interesting stuff that we like, uh, and it has the same kind of reveal as the top 100 video games. It's been really interesting so far. We started that yesterday. Sounds so we are Lazy Poets on Twitch. Okay. Yeah, we'll put all your guys' uh, links and, and websites and everything in the show notes and, and make sure that you get, you know, people can find your your uh, your work. Yeah, what we really like about Twitch is that the sort of move to streaming media, live TV has sort of taken a bit of a nosedive. So, but there's something special about live broadcasting in a way. And now we have the technology to do it ourselves, even if however amateurishly it is. So we have sort of um, quick ad breaks where we collate a load of old adverts and retro clips and stuff to try and make it feel sort of TV-ish a lot more than other Twitch channels, I think. Yeah, I, I see the Twitch, you know, the way they form everything. And it's it's like, oh, I want to get us on Twitch, but I don't have the internet to, to host that myself, to run a Twitch stream for, you know, crumpets and kerosene. And, and because I've seen all the cool stuff, but we have a hard time keeping everybody online through uh you know just audio <laughs> so yeah mark or sorry jason <laughs> i had i had mark reinhagen on earlier and so i kept on you know my bad jason was there something you wanted to ask me right before i interrupted you yeah i just um you you guys have a couple games on your belts now um and i guess i wanted to ask two questions that i think would be kind of beneficial to uh, to our listeners who might be trying to move in the same direction. Um, first is just um, what makes a good board game, what makes a bad board game, in your opinion. And second, how do you do a successful Kickstarter? You've launched and completed one uh, with Crystal Hall. What was, how did that happen? You know, because you see so many Kickstarters, even even from famous people, 
that just don't go anywhere. You know, a lot of money gets invested and then nothing happens. Um, so I know, I know there are, there are people who listen who are trying to do the same kind of stuff. So what makes a good game? What makes a bad game? And how do you actually do a quick a Kickstarter? Great questions, Jason. Um, I'll give my, my own take on the first one first. Um, what makes a good game for me is um, having really good replayability that excites you so much you just want to play again, where you have that, that kind of fizzing energy inside you, like something magic's happening here. I really want to go again. That play again, just one more game, just one more game. That's what makes it good for me. And how do you get that? For me, it comes down to having combinations. So we talked about Settlers of Catan. That's a game where you can uh, change the board every time you play it. That's something quite cool. One game that I particularly like is the game Dominion, where you get to oh, build your own deck from a, a set of card ingredients, if you will. And you're rewarded for creatively spotting strategies where certain cards chime with one another and that's really exciting to me because um you present me with kind of a, a set of card ingredients i'm really excited to see what will go with what and that massive replayability gets me absolutely hooked so um that's something that I, we're trying to build into to Earth and War with some of the, these extra scenarios we're going to have where they combine in different ways. So you get that replayability feel. And in Crystal Hall, it was all about combining spells in different ways to get some interesting results. Um, as for what makes a, a bad game, um, well, maybe Peter, do you want, I'll bring you in because I think you might have some thoughts on this. Uh, my least favorite games are the ones either where, I think board games, they have to be kind of a social event as well. You have to be able to talk and do stuff while you're doing it. So I hate ones with sort of 120 page rule books that's so complicated that you spend an hour and a half teaching everyone the rules. And then during the game, everyone sort of can't do anything because you're discussing the rules or passing the rule book around and, and doing that sort of thing. So there has to be at least some element of simplicity to it that you're not constantly thinking you're doing it wrong. And even worse than that is when you discover edge cases in games and you're, you're not fully confident the designer has thought it through. So my, my least favorite thing playing any game is when you, you think you found a really good move and you don't do it because you think it sort of is broke, breaking some unspoken rule that the the creator hasn't thought of or you think it's somehow unfair. Hmm. So you end up kind of policing your own fun and uh, deciding not to win, essentially, because you don't think it's fair. Um, so the rules have to be so simple enough that people can grasp them, really. Great excuse, Peter, for all those losses. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I keep telling my wife every time I lose. <laughs> And as for good games, I think similar to what John said, actually, it's kind of a creativity in the decision-making process. And more than that, there has to be a sense of consequence, I guess, while you're playing. You have to think that your moves are having a consequence to the overall game, even if they don't, you shouldn't, every move shouldn't decide whether you win or lose on its own. But the strategy should grow as the game moves on. Kind of like in um, video games like, civilization or factorio maybe where your first decisions at the start of the game where you place your town or your city or your first little base dictates how your base then grows from that point on it onwards and it should have kind of a almost biological feel of how your strategy evolves during the game um, with a sense of consequence for each small decision that builds up over the course of it because i read screenplays for a living so it's the same with stories like scenes have to have some sort of consequence to them otherwise you might as well you know not do it if a turn doesn't have consequence in the game, it's pointless. You might as well just not do it. It's true. I like that. Um, but also, a good game has to match uh, the theme to the actual game itself in a way some people don't think about. 
So one of my favorite games is a game called Westminster, um, which published by Gibson's actually, I think. Um, and it's a, a game about UK politics. So you start the game with a political party um, and you have a general election and you get seats and stuff and you then use the seats that you won in the, the election to try and get a bill through the House of Commons three times. And uh, every element in the game is perfectly matched to the political theme. It does go on a bit. It's a bit of a long game, but it's sort of just like British well, politics. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you ever went into the Senate, uh, you just see them having massive board games set up, and everybody's—that's <laughs> how they actually make the decisions, you know. Anything's possible these days. <laughs> yeah, you never, uh, you never know. But it is—it you can learn sort of the ba- the absolute basics of how UK politics works through this game about how uh, bills are called into the Parliament and MPs have to get to the chamber to vote in time and all do a proxy vote and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's one that really matches the theme to every element of the game hmm. really well, which is what we tried to do with Earth and War with the sigils and the arrangement of dice and the symbols controlling the piece. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the grid board that you came up with for Earth and War, uh, like, like John said, it's got this, this kind of lovely occult sun card, uh, compass cardinal directional board to it. Um, Felt very Aleister Crowley actually looking at it, you know. That was um, like kind of where we were going, yeah. Crowley, was and a, yeah, John I, D, I yeah. Thought, yeah, it, it, yeah, and that's exactly like you said, it's appropriate to the time period then because mm-hmm. that's very much what it felt like that, that early 20th century, you know, golden dawn kind of uh silly English uh occultism that was, you know, I could I could very much see you know Crowley and um and and Yeats was a member too of yeah, the WB. Yeah. yeah, just like wizarding dueling over this board, you know. So it's <laughs> it very much feels, it very much looks uh the aesthetic is good. So I think you guys are nailing it on that aspect. Yeah. During the um the last lockdown, we all started doing the uh NanoRemo, which is National Novel Writing Month. Um mm-hmm. and I'm doing a novel based on the board game almost, like a spin-off of the board game, which does include okay. uh, Crowley and uh Yates and uh references to John D and stuff. So the it's okay. sort of it's helped us for, kind of create the board game aesthetic through thinking about the actual world building behind it as well, which has been good. So does the well, so game... The... Go, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Kelly, go ahead. Uh, does the board game have expansions? You do. Can you have add-ons to... Are you guys going to come out with... Uh, to add more players or to change up the different uh, pieces that you have? Not yet, but it's something we have been thinking about while we've been um, designing it. So we have things that we've either taken out from previous versions of the game that we're sort of keeping to one side in case we need them later, yeah. which is a good tip for people designing board games. Well, uh, and we have, we have thought about adding maybe four players and stuff like that, um, but not yet. We're just going to get the core game down first, which I, I think, again, I think is important to do and yeah. not to spiral off too much until it finished. But there is definitely potential for that, um, especially with the scenarios that we've added, which I guess um, are sort of our version of the Dominion uh, randomized deck that you pick from or uh, the, the the tile placement in Crystal Hall where the game will be slightly different each time and there's we've left it open to potential to add new game types in later using the same um, yeah. basic board and stuff. I, it's just something I've noticed with, with you know, games like uh, not just yours but other uh, like Firefly and some of those other uh, interactive games that they have expansion packs Settlers and Catan and, and 
uh, Ticket to Ride. They all have expansion packs add on. I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept. I'm like, Don't do it for Monopoly. I mean, that's that's a home record. Right <laughs> <laughs> but that's the last thing we. Yeah, need I think we'd be we thrilled to to do that. Um, we're trying to sort of crawl before we can walk type thing. Get our kind of like basics down and kind of like earn our fandom and 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 get some people interested. And then beyond that, we'd absolutely love to um to release some expansions. I think the potential's there. Uh, Jason, you asked about kind of what makes a Kickstarter successful and and top yeah, tips for that. Yeah. Um, I guess like uh, there's there's a few things. I mean, it's it's kind of a cliche, but um, just tell everyone all the time everything. Um, so I I told um, a friend who told their brother about Crystal Hall, and they uh, were in the pub one night, and they told their friend who worked for the BBC, and the BBC happened to be running a, a show called Get Creative, which was interviewing people who had a creative side hustle, and through just kind of sheer serendipity and me kind of like blowing my own trumpet, they heard about it, came down to my flat, and and did a little interview on me, which got us an extra bit of publicity. So just tell everybody um, as much as you, you can is a great way, thing to do. Kind of if you're doing crowdfunding, you've got to build a crowd. So that's yeah. kind of like lesson one, I suppose. Um, I think you're hard to resist the urge to keep things secret. Yeah, it's the same with if you're writing a novel or a script or stuff. People think their ideas are more valuable than they are. And they <laughs> they kind of reluctant to give it out in case people steal their ideas. But right. what's more important is to get the idea out there and get feedback. And then you can... Uh, building it yourself because you need feedback to to make good creative stuff it should be a process of kind of um performance feedback revision where you do the do the performance get some feedback and then revise it for the next iteration that's how it gets better Definitely. Exactly. Um, that, that kind of design thinking of, of failing fast and iterating is is, is absolutely our secret what's made earth and more so good over the last four years or so that we've been working on it i've we've been taking it to places like playtest uk which is um, an organization um, where you can just go and rock up and play different people's games and there, there wasn't kind of an engagement when we initially took it on uh, and took it there but now there really is um people who are really passionate about it people who are like itching to buy it when it, it's ready so um yeah really excited uh, about kind of where that'll take us so um yeah tell people and just iterate test 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 it, testing is so important it's uh, no matter how good you think your idea is and how well thought out it is it can all collapse the first time somebody plays it and doesn't have any fun it's there's no way that you can think about it enough to kind of model it all in your brain it's like chaos theory where it's there's so many uh, complex interactions in a board game that that you've no idea how it's going to play until you actually make people play it Um, and it's important not to get disheartened when it's not fun because it's unlikely to be fun the first few times you uh, put it out there true 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 yeah, I, I have a few friends that are doing Kickstarters and I'm just, I want to start doing something down the road, but I just, I'm nervous about Kickstarters, like trying to get it out. Then you do have to build that audience and then you have to, uh, you know, make sure that you hit the goals that you set on your Kickstarters or the way you do it. And uh, But it's interesting with our current, you know, in the last 10, 15 years that Kickstarters and Patreons are now open. You don't have to go directly to like a, a game manufacturer. You can, you can start the foundation of it, you know, online and gain that, that fan base that you need to build before you start putting out the product. Uh, And it's very interesting that it's really picked up over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Especially with board games, you need a certain amount of capital to get them all printed and out there for people to buy so um if you're not going to get a business loan kickstart is one of the only other ways you can do it because you you need kind of 20 30 quid to print each copy uh, because they're really expensive to get printed even if even for the big companies 
because yeah. uh, just components are so expensive to make yeah. and put together and it's very few people have enough kind of liquid capital to just print off a thousand copies of their board game to sell right and so the pieces for your your, your board game are, are they plastic metal a combination i forgot to ask that earlier what, what what's the materials so it's, no, it's a um, so we, we, we've got dice, um, kind of cardboard box, cardboard grids, which are these occult sigils that Jason mentioned, and we've got the board itself and some tokens. But the kind of the piece de resistance, if you will, is these um, ceramic clay golems that we've actually had handcrafted by uh, an artist for our prototype games. And we're certainly hoping that the final version will contain um, some ceramic golems um, designed by an artist um, with this kind of really weighty quality. And that's a USP that I've not seen in other games. I've kind of heard rumors, but never actually seen a game that has clay pieces before. So um, we're really hoping that'll help it stand out. And it'll also really chime with this idea of a game about warriors made of clay. They're actually made of clay, um, yeah. which um, I think the other Golem games I've seen on the market, they're, they're plastic or wooden. So um, yeah, hopefully it'll give us an edge there. It's really tactile. I think the tactile nature of board games is underrated. People feel like for a world people call materialist, we don't really take that much pride in material objects. So it's good to have kind of a, a heavy weighty tactile Thing that you can actually play about with especially as people are spending more and more time on screens oh yeah it's the one thing that separates board games from video games essentially it's really satisfying to play this game with the with these pieces because the whole the whole crux of the game is these things are big heavy creatures that march across this board so when you got a move lined up that works and you can slam it down and bang it you like it's really it feels good like it, it feels like that's what it's supposed to feel like so yeah i, I hope you can keep uh at least keep that heft at least keep that weight whatever the final golems end up uh end up being because it yeah it's like you said peter the tactileness is really satisfying yeah yeah a lot better than than little figurines i i every time i get a figurine of something and i stop using them for the, like the four games i actually did use a figurine and i broke them every time and not even intentionally mm -hmm. like they just fell apart or something happened to them and i'm like well, this D20 is, that's me, you know, the representation. So <laughs> having those metal game pieces or ceramic or clay, you know, that to to me and my family, we, we love to have like the heavy game sets. Like I get excited when I pick up a board game and it's got a little weight to it. I know it's got a lot of components and, you know, it's a long play. It, I don't know if you guys had pogs over there. But oh, when we, we were little, we had these... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I had this uh, amazing metal slammer that I got from a Chopper Shop uh, lollipop. And it reminds me, it's the same sort of heft to it. And there's something really, really satisfying of being able to slam things down uh, without really any worry of breaking it. Because uh, they're all uh, properly clay fired, so they can mm -hmm. they can withstand a bit of a bash, which is good. I, I think me and Jason, we talked about that on our episode about pogs. I talked to someone about yeah, pogs. We, we definitely had a little. <laughs> yeah. It was very short. We had a little uh, a time travel episode for a bit there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pogs are around for maybe six months, maybe maybe a year. <laughs> They're everywhere. Stores popping up, and then like, a couple months later, it's a it's a shoe store or something. And, you know, it's one of those things. Like Pogs are cool. The slammers are awesome, and then the tube of all the little tokens and things. But I still rather have like a game board, and that's cool that your game board's not the regular square right it's it's got some shape to it 
Actually, it? it is a regular square. We we started off with hexagons, but through kind of iteration, we ended up um, going with a square board. Um, but it would be interesting to think about different shapes for it. Maybe for expansions, we could kind of toy with right. doing rectangles or some funky shapes. Uh, we, uh, we fit the board to the theme as well. So it's got uh, trenches on either side, um, which oh, are shaped like the, the German and French because they had different shaped trenches. Right, right. Um, and then there's a bit of space at the side for all the bits and bobs that you need to play the game. Okay, cool. I mean, that's like... Uh... Yeah, it's like the add-ons for risk. You just put another board connecting it, and all of a sudden you got, you know, <laughs> trip up a risk. But uh, I'm still. I'm I have still... played you a risk before. It, we were up till the wee hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so going back to the Monopoly you're talking about, did you take like different Monopoly boards and cut them in half and stick them together, or is it something in the UK where they have just like extensions of the board? we kind of missed a trick so in the uk you can get monopoly sets for like manchester bath birmingham london but right, we right. just had three london i don't know why maybe it's just kind of the most common one that families have in the cupboard um but we had like these um, little stickers with dots on so there was like the red set with little red uh, circles on them and then like the green set and then the, the set with no dots so that was how we distinguished them all okay but really we should have had like three kind of actual towns like recreating kind of great Britain with like I know the twelve major cities and like connecting them all with like ticket to ride games or something. <laughs> this very much feels like something your parents came up with to keep you and your siblings and your cousins occupied <laughs> and in a room <laughs> by yourselves. Here, 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 play Monopoly for the next nine hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like I want to go and exactly buy. Right. I want to go yeah. and buy three different Monopoly sets, set it up, and see what my wife says. So did you have to have three of the same sort of brown set from the same board or could you split them across the three boards, John? Um, so you could split them across the three boards. So you could have one of the browns on each of the properties and that would still count. As long as you satisfied like having one of each named property, that would still count as a set. Um, but more, I think I mentioned briefly earlier the stations. So, you know, with the stations, like the rent kind of goes up for like 25 pounds if you've got one station, then 50, then 100. And if you have all four stations and someone lands on you, it's 200. I think that that just got a bit ridiculous with the Tripopoly. So I think it like, I don't think it carried on going up at quite the same rate because it doubling would just get nuts. Um, but it went up by like 200 pounds. Um, and yeah, I, I think I remember my brother kind of rubbing his hands with glee when someone landed on him with like 12 <laughs> stations. One is, it was just like ridiculous. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, so it, it had some good moments. So the, the game creation started when you're young. Yeah, I, I like it. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> i just imagine doing that right now i just want to go downstairs and just pick three random game boxes and put them together and it's and be like okay we just we're gonna try this and use all the parts from all of them and try to make it work absolutely man like there's this idea that's really helped me with game design which is the idea of a ludeem which is like a single rule a single little game idea like maybe it's how a knight moves in chests or the fact that you draw out letters in Scrabble or the way in which your piece moves in Cluedo, just a single little little game idea. And I think you can take like a almost like a, a lucky dip grab bag of Ludeems, chuck them together and see what happens. And I think that's not dissimilar to how it was when uh, we were sat on the floor at Peter's house with this um, kind of hexagonal grid. We were just chucking ideas around. And then through this kind of Darwinian process that Peter described, something sticks at the end of your little experimental session. Then you have another go and something else sticks. And then you, before you know it, you got a game. On the Twitch channel, we're, we're planning a, a format where we do this. We have all the ludiums in a hat and we pick out, say, three and try to design a board game 
from the ground up in like an hour maybe and see oh. what we come up with at the end of it and see if anything's doable or playable oh, that's pretty cool that's a podcast right there i bet you get tons of listeners trying to suit you <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, how good our ideas are yet yeah. <laughs> if anybody's trying to think of board games just write down every idea for every sort of tiny ludine that you come up with yeah and they can really help when you're stuck um like that yeah for I a long time uh, sorry uh, for a long time no, ahead, nice chat on uh, facebook messenger um we normally communicate was just like lists of ludemes back and forth that we kind of see at odd hours of the day and i think that was almost like the the background before we actually started playing is that we'd had this dialogue about just observing oh i noticed this i noticed that uh, some people take it a bit too far. I, I met someone who met a game which is about like timing when to take your bins out on the right night in the in the local neighborhoods because like <laughs> you're not sure when bin night is, but you get kudos if you take out your bin first and it's right, and then most people will follow someone else. Oh, it was ridiculous, but like um, oh, people yeah. will make you can spot ludeems everywhere. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I, I like it. Well, uh, yeah. go ahead, Jason. I think it's interesting you know, that just yeah, hearing you guys talk about how you, you kind of start with these little ideas um, and then you build from there or you, or you notice pet little pattern ideas. Because um, I know we have a lot of, of, of listeners who write their own Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, a lot of uh, Dungeon Masters and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of us kind of unknowingly start from the same kind of idea. It's that germ of an idea. You know a couple of mechanics that seem to work and they fit together and then it's just building out from there. So I think there's a lot... I think there's a lot to say if you're in a creative block about breaking things down kind of their, to their smallest components, rearranging and then fitting things back together in a different way. Um, That's how we've with, developed Earthen War, essentially, yeah. with the game testing, essentially, because people will tell you sort of what they don't like, or you'll see them sort of not having fun while they're game testing it, and the the stab to your heart will think maybe we need we need to get we need to go back to basics because it's not working and it we've done that a few times now and it's got better each time we've done it and it's worked really well um yeah sometimes you've got to slaughter your darlings and, and really dial it back to to those those basic building blocks rearrange them a few maybe park some to one side for the rainy day and then uh, build it back up and keep going yeah it's quite humbling when you spent days thinking and trying to hone this one game mode thinking it's going to work perfectly and then you you play it and it's not great <laughs> but even the worst things they they can build it into something good later on so we have a scenario um where we introduce a tiny soldier piece that will kind of make the game a little bit more complicated complicated for one of the the modes and the way we played it the first time was awful it didn't work at all but it has led now to kind of a more simple but far more fun scenario to add in later on yeah all right cool uh, Jason, you got anything else to ask our folks? I think we're getting to the no, man. This is this has been this has been a great conversation uh, for me, just because it's it's got some ideas rolling in my head. Yeah, uh, and I think that's if if we're pulling anything away from these conversations, I really think it is, you know, learning how other ways to be creative and how how uh, beneficial that can be to to, to, oh, to your own process. Yeah. Yeah. So, do, do you guys have any questions for us? I know we just pegged you guys in the corner and started jabbing you about your stuff. Do you have any uh, anything you want to ask us, American folk? Yeah, I, I guess like um, uh, I'm curious to know more about kind of Jason's process about with with the dungeoneering. Uh, like, uh, I, I, it's it's a 
cliche question, but I, I can't stop myself from asking it. Like, where'd you get your ideas from? Um, I listened to your episode about the kind of um, the poisonous gas that takes over the, the world and people build these like high cities to keep out the mm -hmm. gas. And then your story takes place 500 years later. I absolutely love that. I want to explore that world. Um, could you tell us where that idea came from and, and, and how you explore that? I mean, I think if, if, if we are honest with ourselves, we steal most of what we have. It's just, it's putting it together in different ways. So I think the idea for Nexus um, was like, I think I had, I had read, there was a Stephen King book a few years ago called The Dome, about a dome town. And that <laughs> idea was stuck in my head. And then... Um, there was a book series by a guy named Simon Green, uh, who's a British urban fantasy writer um, called The Night Side. And the whole idea is this is the it's it's like a, a, a dark version of London where time is all wonky and there are parallel dimensions that run in and out. And it's just it's totally built on chaos. So I like having a few and, and a few different things that I've been thinking about, like um, I was just looking for something that I could just mess around with and, and be contained, but still play with. So pulling from that little idea and that nugget of an idea and this lyric from a song i was i was building a campaign for for some people who who wanted a campaign based on a david bowie album they like they like wanted a concept campaign <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> um so i picked diamond dogs because it's it's kind of it's it's a real kind of post-apocalyptic so listening to that album over and over again and and thinking of a dome city and thinking of of, of chaos and and um like kids probably play ninja turtles so i'm thinking mutations you know whatever the case may be it, it's all everything we we have is 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 a germ you know for an idea um and i think that's what nexus is and i think the difficulty sometimes uh, can be realizing that you're you're kind of stealing a little bit um because once you kind of get to the 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 point where okay i'm, I'm bringing in all ideas and i'm filtering them to my own experiences um, but because I'm aware I'm bringing in all these outside ideas, I'm going to open myself up to more, you know, what can I, what can I come up with if I'm, if, if I'm more easily filtering the ideas or if, if I'm bringing more in. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it, the cities, the sandboxes, the worlds I build are, are 60% me, 40% everything else, you know, but it's all how I filter my experiences. And I think, I think with most creatives, that's kind of what it is. It's, it's, you have to take in the outside world because that's what you're, that's what you're exposed to, but then how you filter through your own, uh, your own view, your own lens. Um, that's where the art comes. It's, it's that sifting process. It's a really good philosophy. Harold Bloom had a theory of creativity called mis misprision. I think mm -hmm. it's pronounced where he, he thought that it was creativity comes from a misreading of other sources. So yeah. you would, for instance, read a book and think, Oh, this would be cool. If this happened, you'd sort of take it in, filter it through yourself and misread it in a way that, would be cool and then you know they, there's your idea yeah like i i think uh peter jackson totally misread the hobbit and we got three <laughs> terrible movies out of it. but uh, you know at, at least um he created something that was new you know what i mean like it, it wasn't good but yes <laughs> he misread it and, and and filtered it i love peter jackson the first the first lord of the rings movies were amazing but yeah the, the hobbit not so great but um yeah that's that's excellent peter i think you've got a really good point there yeah i like I'm misreading 
the outside world. I like that a lot. Yeah. Definitely. I, I have another question about kind of creativity during lockdown. So kind of um, we, we're all used to, as kind of like creators trying to kind of drink in as many stimulus as possible to kind of like give us those germs, those those cooking ingredients, those ludines. But it's just a little bit harder with, with lockdown. So are there things that you're doing, kind of habits uh, that help you kind of get more kind of creative ideas going that you're doing now that you maybe weren't doing before? Uh, I think for me is more uh, when I started the podcast it was before the pandemic, but I was more focused on making a good podcast and not the game. And I think since uh, a few episodes in, I, I got really deep into coming up with sound effects and doing all that stuff and really dove in since pandemic and starting this business. I kind of uh, I want to make our podcast more story oriented with all the sound effects and everything so it's like listening to a movie without visually seeing you know the movie itself uh, and i think that's one of the creative things that i just love because uh for our our my last episode i just put out yesterday the day before i can't remember uh i had a guy do the voice of krampus and i sat there and we got creative about all the stuff so the dm she was she has her lines in there, but we added about 15 more uh, dialogue that we just wanted to add to it. So I think since the pandemic, I was like, I want to go down this path. I think, you know, creating sound effects and voice acting and making the game a little bit better has been uh, kind of my niche that I've been going through. What about you, Jason? Um, I mean, uh, just keeping occupied, I really was what, what kind of spurred my creativity on, you know, I was furloughed for about six or seven months from work, um, last year. And it was really, I needed to do something to get my brain moving because just depressedly sighing and sitting on the couch wasn't working and it was driving my wife and kids nuts. So, <laughs> um, so I started, you know, it, it kind of burst a little, uh, a little creativity boost as far as my writing goes that I, I hadn't experienced for a few years. So it was, it was a nice little, um, you know, once I kind of, you know, cleared my head of, of, of being upset about being upset, you know, it was, it was better able to, to sort of, sort of filter and, and misread more stuff. Um, <laughs> Dungeoneer, uh, you know, the whole Dungeoneering for Hire thing was born also out of out of just kind of necessity too. It was, you know, we needed a couple extra bucks and it seemed like, you know, something I could maybe monetize for gas money, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so desperation certainly uh, is, is good creative <laughs> fuel too sometimes. And, the Vikings said that. The Vikings had a phrase, I think it was, you have to burn your boat. So when you get to a new island, if you leave your boat intact on the shore, you're not going to throw yourself fully into living right. and making a life on the island because you know there's always a way out. So sometimes it is a case of burning your boat so that you have to make a success of whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I think the, the communication with everybody, that's a big thing for like DMing and, and that's why I sought out new players not because i needed more but just because of the creativity that you know jason and, and Jay, uh bring into the the world uh and with the pandemic and everything i just wanted more you know influence into the worlds that i'm creating and everything and i i think with the dungeoneering uh you know just sitting with a whole nother family and hanging out and making each other happy uh while doing it i think that's uh, I think it's a really an amazing thing to to do because you know just like this podcast where we're just talking with folks within the industry just having the 
back and forth is is pretty amazing uh, to me because you know as you were saying you know creative building you learn from each other basically and you know that's I think that's why we all kind of you know do these kind of uh, interviews and board games and interactive systems to to help with you know being trapped in one little area. Yeah, and I think we, we really appreciate having this chance to, to speak with you both kind of today because um, you just don't have those water cooler moments, th yeah. those pub chats at the moment. Mm -hmm. So we have to be a little bit more intentional. And it's just fantastic to meet with other kind of like people who are passionate about kind of like games and kind of uh, nerd culture and um, like uh, similar interests. It's just it's just really nice to, to have this in our lives because it, it is something absolutely missing at the moment. Um, so you have to kind of be a bit more intentional, but it absolutely pays off. So I guess that would be my own reflection is, um, yeah, just kind of put in a little bit more investment to reach out to folks and it, um, it'll it always pay back, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I I mean, we're hour and five minutes. I think we, we, we crushed it. I, nothing wrong with that. I have a lot of interviews that are over an hour and a half and I'm like, it's okay. As long as I get 45 minutes, I'm... I'm happy with talking with folks and, and learning your guys' <laughs> stuff and to uh you know when you guys come out with the next thing or you do something new or you add something you know we can do another episode you can tell us about your your new project or uh something that you're working on and we can just continue to you know help each other out uh and spread the word on you know your guys's game and your you know the stuff that you're working on We'd be delighted to. That sounds fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. Right on. Well, uh, thanks for joining us on Maximum Role Entertainment Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Role. Join us each week as we interview folks within the gaming and entertainment industry, such as writers, illustrators, artists, podcasts, Twitch and YouTube streamers, social media content creators, handcrafted gaming apparel and merchandise and much more you can find maximum roll on apple and spotify and anywhere else you find your podcast if you want to be interviewed on the show just email us at maximum entertainment at gmail.com or instagram at maximum underscore roll underscore entertainment underscore llc and if you like Maximum Roll, check out some of the other Dungeons & Dragons podcasts and streams on the Maximum Roll Entertainment Podcast Network, such as, uh, you know what, I'm just going to let them tell you about their shows. Looking for a unique and fun twist to your normal D&D podcast? Well then check out Crumpets and Kerosene. This international podcast came together from the United States, Canada, Norway, and Germany. This fun Filled homebrew game takes our adventures from the modern world into a land of roving gangs of killer clowns, creepy British children, the mating habits of dragons, and even Santa Claus. Join Jason, Alora, Merle, Sophia, Quentin, and Serene as they quest their way through the realms of mystery and evil. You can find Crumpets and Kerosene on Apple, Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, and everywhere you find podcasts. You can also find us on Patreon. 
search crumpets and kerosene and get even more wild and crazy fun. Hey, hey, stop on by DD420.com. We're a guild of role players brought and bound together by Common Drive, the love of role playing games. We bring our individual skills and personalities together to breathe life into the worlds and games created by our game masters. We also offer podcasts such as Late Night with Jess and Jam. We have custom content, a bestiary for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and a Discord server where you can find games or just hang out and make new friends. That's dnd420.com. Need some excitement on that morning drive to work? Welcome, adventurers, to Constructed Chaos, a live play Dungeons & Dragons podcast full of unpredictable antics, borking doggos, and engaging fantasy storytelling and roleplay. With sessions recorded in a professional studio setting, you'll feel every bit of the action and hear every snide remark by the snarky NPCs. Jump in and have a listen to our flagship campaign, The Wrath of Zealous, to help us construct some chaos. We also have Adventurers Roundtable joining us on the network. If you have a podcast or a show that you want to join the network with, email us at MaximumRollEntertainment at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do. Take care. In a world of magic and mystery... Where danger lurks around every corner, a new type of hero emerges. Brave. Resourceful. Potty trained. I, I, poop, I, I, I pooped in my pants. Well, maybe not potty trained. Coming soon only to the Crumpets and Kerosene Patreon, it's Babies and Broadswords. Someone please my pants pooped in my pants. Games like Dungeons and Dragons are more popular than ever, but with tons of rules, mountains of books, and so many dice, it can be hard to know where to get started. That's where Dungeoneering with Jason comes in. We're Dungeon Masters for Hire. Take a break and let us run your next game. One-on-one -on -one tutorials are also available for new DMs. Contact Dungeoneering with Jason today. Adventure is just a click away.